History This Week, November 7, 1876. I'm Sally Helm. It's late at night in New York City. On Fifth Avenue, a man named Daniel Sickles is making his way home from dinner and a Broadway show. Sickles has a nickname, Devil Dan. He's a one-legged Civil War veteran with a bad reputation. He'd once murdered a man who was having an affair with his wife. That man, by the way, was Francis Scott Key's son. Sickles fought for the Union in the Civil War, lost his leg at the Battle of Gettysburg. He spent a few years living in Spain, where he was rumored to have had an affair with the former queen, Isabella II. Now, he's a Republican Party operative. And tonight is election night. So on his way home, Sickles stops by Republican headquarters to see how the votes are coming in for president. He expects the office to be buzzing with activity. But when he opens the door, it's empty. Except for a night clerk who is quite literally packing it in. The clerk tells Sickles it's over. This very contentious election has been decided. The Democrat Samuel Tilden beat the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes. The party chairman has gone to bed with a bottle of whiskey for company. But Sickles wants to see the results for himself. He goes over to the chairman's desk where telegrams from various Republican state headquarters detail the current voting tally. When the Republican chairman and others saw these returns, they thought it was an open and shut case. The Democrat Tilden has a staggering lead in the popular vote, and it seems like he'll get the electoral votes he needs to win. He has 184 already. He only needs 185. A bunch of states still have to come in, and he's ahead. So the Republicans figure they've lost. But Sickles sees something totally different. This election isn't over at all. The Democrats think they're going to sweep the South. They're the party of the Confederacy, and they've worked hard to suppress the Black Republican vote. But it's still close. And Sickles thinks the Republicans shouldn't give up. If they can hold some key Southern states, they might be able to keep Tilden from getting that last electoral vote. Sickles fires off telegrams to Republicans in Florida, South Carolina, and Louisiana. He tells them, quote, with your state sure for Hayes, he is elected. Hold your state. And with that, Devil Dan throws the country into a messy political process that will drag out for months, each party arguing furiously that their guy has won. There will be backroom deals, threats of violence, actual violence, and a late-night agreement that changes the direction of the country for decades to come. This was potentially the most disastrous election in American history. This nearly ended in a catastrophe. Today, the election of 1876. How did it become arguably the messiest and most contentious U.S. election ever? And how do its effects ripple forward, even to the present day? 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Dr. Richard White is a professor emeritus from Stanford who wrote a big book about this period in U.S. history. And he's been thinking lately about the election of 1876 because he sees some parallels to the election of 2020. I just hope that it's nothing like the election of 1876, because we did not handle the election of 1876 very well. But yeah, there's a lot of parallels. Immigration, quarrels about white supremacy, economic change, people feeling there's a breakdown in democracy. We can go on and on and on. The parties in 1876 are the Democrats and the Republicans. But the coalitions that make them up are somewhat different than they are today. Big groups for the Democrats include immigrants, Catholics, and very importantly... They're going to be, by and large, white Southerners. Republicans are going to be Northerners. They're going to be Protestants. In the South, they're going to be Black. But the major thing that shapes your loyalties in the 1870s is which side you were on in the Civil War. The Civil War is recent history. It ended in 1865. And Republicans are still the party of Lincoln. They've spent the last 10 years of Reconstruction trying to enforce equal rights, particularly for newly freed African Americans in the South and in the expanding Western territories. As a big part of this, there have been federal troops stationed in the South to enforce voting rights and prevent racist violence by white supremacist groups. Meanwhile, the Democrats... In the South, they want to erase all the gains that have been made for Black civil rights and Black voting. What they want by 1876 is white supremacy. In many states in the South, the Democrats have taken power. They've used violent voter suppression to take down Republican-aligned Reconstruction governments, which had been put in place to enforce Black civil rights. And in 1876, the Democrats also have an economic message. The Republicans have preached economic progress and expansion in the South, but it's not happening. The country is actually in a depression. So Republican President Ulysses S. Grant is unpopular because the economy is so bad. Plus, his administration has been dogged by scandal and charges of corruption. And so, in the election to replace Grant, both parties nominate men who are known to be personally upstanding and honest. The Republicans nominate Rutherford B. Hayes, the governor of Ohio. He's a temperance advocate, an intellectual... He's not a colorful person. As a matter of fact, his nickname is Old Granny. He's not a firebrand, but neither is Samuel Tilden. Tilden is the governor of New York and the Democratic candidate for president. He's sort of snobby. The kind of person who dropped out of Yale because he didn't like the food. He's a rich railroad lawyer. He very much keeps his distance from the electorate. So Hayes is sort of boring, Tilden is sort of pretentious, but both candidates promise a return to good, honest government. And yet, right from the beginning, the campaign is dirty, violent, and awful. Both candidates stick to their party playbooks. For Hayes and the Republicans, that means appealing to anti-Catholicism in the North and trying to keep the Civil War front and center. They tell Northerners to vote as you shot. It's what was known as a bloody shirt campaign. To wave the bloody shirt, the shirt of the Union veteran who had been wounded or killed. It's a metaphor for the Republican message, which is... 
Remember the Civil War, remember the Civil War dead, and it's tremendously effective in the North. In the South, though, the Democrats have a very effective strategy, which is essentially widespread violence against Black voters. The Democrats are looking to suppress the Black vote in the South by any means necessary. And by any means, I mean murder, I mean rape, I mean fraud, I mean mobs invading towns. And the blueprint is Mississippi in 1875. Hundreds, perhaps thousands of Black people are going to be killed. Dead books are going to be kept where they simply list the names of Republicans who are going to be assaulted and murdered. Democrats stick to this horrible blueprint during the campaign in 1876. Probably the most famous incident during the campaign itself is that a white mob armed with cannons will invade a black town, Hamburg, South Carolina, and then they will start executing people. They execute five black men. Now, people leading these mobs are going to be leaders of the Democratic Party. And come Election Day... The voting will unfold in the South in a way that you pretty much could have predicted. Black people will be kept away from the polls. This voter suppression, combined with an unpopular Republican administration and an economic depression, it means that... The Democrats are expected to win. The Republicans are seen as literally not having a chance. But just to make sure, the Democrats also engage in widespread fraud in the South on Election Day. The fraud is rampant and unashamed. Hundreds, perhaps thousands, of Democratic voters cross from Georgia to vote in South Carolina. In one town in Louisiana, Black voters outnumber white voters two to one. Black voters are a solid Republican voting bloc. And yet, there is not a single vote recorded in that town for the Republican hates. The Republicans will do it too, but on a lesser scale. Florida, there's going to be hundreds of Republican votes that are found that are probably entirely fictitious. But at the end of the day, or in the ensuing days, as the votes are counted, the indications are that Tilden is won and perhaps won in a landslide. He's ahead by a large margin in the popular vote. So the Democrats are partying. Tilden, who is usually a pretty reserved campaigner, throws a lavish party on election night at his New York City mansion. Hayes goes to bed early after making a statement that he is at peace with the results. And this is where Devil Dan comes into the picture. When he visits Republican headquarters late at night. He does something that the Republicans apparently had not done, partially because very many of them were drunk by that time. They actually start reading the reports. And he realizes that in Florida, Louisiana, and South Carolina, only a small portion of the votes have come in. And at the places of Republican strength, where there's a large number of Black voters, those votes have not been counted yet. And so Sickles sends out his telegrams to Republican allies, saying, hold your state. Within hours, there are Republican and Democratic operatives headed to the South to ensure a fair election. They're less interested in fairness, probably, than in winning, because very many of them are carrying large amounts of cash. Several major newspapers report after Election Day that the Democrat Tilden is the winner. But the New York Times has a partisan Republican editor, and they have sources who hear that things are unsettled in some key states. So they run the headline, A Doubtful Election. 
that will end up being an apt description of how things stand for the next several months. On the ground in these key southern states, a battle for votes is beginning. What happens next is a three-ring circus. The critical thing in each state is, what is the canvassing board supposed to do? There are these election canvassing boards who are in charge of counting the popular votes. And the question is, should they just count up the votes that were cast and award the electors? Or should they go deeper? Should they try to figure out some of this widespread fraud, throw out the fraudulent votes, and only count the real ones? Republicans say what we have to do is make sure that these are not fraudulent votes. The Democrats say, count them. The Democrats did a lot more fraud in the election of 1876, so it makes sense that they don't want that investigated. And that's not to mention all the voter suppression they engaged in. But, you know, their argument sounds reasonable. Just count the votes. They start saying that the Republicans are trying to steal the election. Now, in the first contested state, South Carolina, it becomes pretty clear that the Republican Hayes has won. Even with the fraudulent votes, Hayes won by, I think, 74 votes. South Carolina is for Hayes. Then we have Florida. And Florida at the time is a thinly populated state where the results come in very, very slow. So when you counted all the votes, even the Democrats who've been sent down there to watch it is they said, God knows. People will swear to anything. There's been so much fraud, it's really virtually impossible to sort out. Florida ends up with three competing sets of electors. Some for the Democrats, some for the Republicans. And then we have Louisiana. Their canvassing board under the state constitution is supposed to throw out fraudulent votes. The board itself is corrupt and Republican. The law says there has to be representatives of both parties on the board, but the Democrat has resigned. And the board, once they see what has happened, thinks this is payday. As far as we can tell, all four members of the board solicit bribes from both parties. In the end, after the canvassing board weighs in, a 6,000-vote margin for Tilden becomes a 3,000-vote margin for Hayes. But the Democratic governor-elect takes it upon himself to certify some electors for Tilden instead. So there are now also two sets of electors from Louisiana. It is a giant mess. And meanwhile, in the country at large, the tension is really rising. People are watching this like hawks. It's brought back all the old wounds of the Civil War. The Democrats are seeing as the Republicans are stealing this election. The Republicans see it as the South will stop at nothing to reverse the results of the Civil War. There's a danger here of violence from the partisans, whatever candidate who loses, and some are beginning to argue that this is going to end up being a second Civil War. All of this lands in the lap of the United States Senate. They have to figure out How are we going to unravel this mess without sending the country down a very dark and dangerous road? When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Senate gets to weigh in on the electoral chaos of 1876 because of a sloppily written and often forgotten constitutional amendment, the 12th. The Twelfth Amendment to the Constitution shows that, in fact, Congress is not that good at drafting amendments. It's confusing. It includes language about how, in a contested election, the votes can go to the president of the Senate to count, and if there's a tie, then the election is decided by the House. Congress wrote the amendment years earlier to try and help in a situation like this. But the problem is, is that they're not real good with the passive voice. What they say is that the president of the Senate would open the ballots and then, quote, they shall then be counted. It doesn't say who's going to count them. The Democrats are like, we don't want this Republican senator to count the votes. Then I'll just give all the contested electoral votes to Hayes. The parties can't agree on what should happen. Eventually, they decide, okay, we need to create a bipartisan commission to count these votes. It's an attempt to compromise, to pull the country back from the brink of violence. The commission is going to be made up of five senators, five congressmen, and five Supreme Court justices. The only person of any real historical note is James Garfield, who will go on to be president in 1881. The commission will be evenly split between the parties, with one tiebreaker, who ends up being a Supreme Court justice named Joseph Bradley. His vote is really the only vote on the commission that matters. The commission reviews the whole situation. And when the time comes for them to announce their decision... You could cut the anxiety in the room with a knife. And Bradley will side with the Republicans. The commission has spoken. Rutherford B. Hayes is president. But... Of course, the Democrats have one last trick up their sleeve. The Southern Democrats now realize it's the last thing they can do is if they can delay the vote long enough, if they can filibuster, ask for delays, just drag everything out until the end so that there cannot be an inauguration on March 4th. If the Senate doesn't certify a president by March 4th when Grant's term expires, then there won't be a president. And then... They're going to argue that the 12th Amendment kicks back in again. The commission failed. So it goes to the House. Where the Democrats would give the election to Tilden. The Southern Democrats want to filibuster. They see an opportunity to steal the election back. But the Northern Democrats... The Northern Democrats weaken. They begin to say, well, you know, is this really something we want to do to throw the country into a total convulsion? When we have helped, we've agreed to this commission, and now we're clearly blocking the commission. So the Northern Democrats are saying, let's talk. 
they sit down with Hayes. And here is where the Republican president-elect makes a fateful compromise, one that will have deep, far-reaching effects. To avoid a filibuster and a continuing constitutional crisis, he agrees to the thing that Democrats, especially the Southern Democrats, want most of all, a withdrawal of federal troops from the South. We're going to stop sending in marshals to protect elections. We're going to, in the language of the time, allow local rule, which everybody knows what that means. It means that, in fact, the Southerners will be in charge about what happens in the South. So the Southerners, in turn, say, if you withdraw, we promise we're going to guarantee Black rights. So Hayes tells Black Republicans, don't worry, your rights are going to be protected. The only thing true in any of this is that Hayes is going to withdraw federal forces. Everything else was a lie. Did Hayes sort of know that, you think? Hayes was not an idiot. So Hayes, at some level, knew. This decision is going to be terrible for Black civil rights in the South. Its negative effects will compound over the decades. And this is the decision that gets Hayes the presidency. At 4 a.m. on March 2nd, after a more than 12-hour session, Congress certifies Rutherford B. Hayes as president. So it's by the skin of their teeth. Hayes has already departed for Washington, not knowing if, in effect, he is the president of the United States. And he will get word on the way that he has been elected president. That is a Friday. Grant's term expires on a Monday. So just to make sure that nothing untoward happens, he's inaugurated March 3rd in a private ceremony, and then the official inauguration on March 5th. The country is relieved it's all over. They're also really angry. Many of them feel they've been cheated out of the presidency. Even Hayes' Republican rivals will refer to him ever after that as his fraudulency and Ruth of Fraud B. Hayes. And for that matter, the Democrats are going to do everything in their power to make sure that his presidency is going to be as painful as possible. But Hayes' most important act happens before he even assumes the presidency. That promise. He keeps it. When he becomes president, he withdraws federal troops from the South. This is the effective end of Reconstruction. Black voters and activists in the South continue to struggle to try and maintain the progress they've made during the past 10 years. But without federal troops helping to back them up, you see those gains eroded and eroded. Eventually, during the Jim Crow era, you see voting restrictions and other restrictions enshrined in law. Black votership won't return to Reconstruction levels until 1965. So in that way, the legacy of this election is painfully clear. And Richard White says, this election is also a reminder to him that American elections can go off the rails. It's happened before. And in a lot of ways, he says, things haven't changed. I have no more confidence in modern politicians than I have in the politicians in the 1870s. I have no more confidence in their ability to think clearly about this, to set aside particular self-interest. None of those things seem to me to be things that are really apparent about our current political process. The kinds of partisanship, the bitterness on both sides, and the willingness to just make elections be a tool of party politics rather than a chance for voters to express their will, that hasn't gone away. Voter suppression hasn't gone away either. But in the nearly 150 years since this election, 
people have struggled to make the process freer and fairer. And this week, millions of people will participate in an American ritual that became incredibly fraught in 1876 and that is still fraught today. They'll go to the polls, cast their ballots, have their say. And hopefully, their voices will be heard. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on the History Channel today. And for history anytime, anywhere, sign up for a seven-day free trial of History Vault, where you can stream over 2,000 award-winning documentaries and series from your favorite device, with new videos added every week. To start your free trial, visit historyvault.com forward slash podcast today. This episode was produced by McKamey Lynn. History This Week is also produced by Julie Magruder, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato, and our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts. And we will see you next week. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.